You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Air Church. We exist to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus who love him and love their neighbour. We pray these sermons serve to deepen your love for and obedience to Jesus. And whilst we trust these podcast sermons bless you, we would not want them to replace you gathering with us personally as you're able to or committing to a local gospel church near you. So if you want to explore Jesus more, gather with us, or find a church near you, please get in touch through our website, harvestair.church. You are loved. Uh, If you would like to go ahead and and grab a Bible, and there should be Bibles just in the the pew there, um, to track along. I think it's page 536 or 537 from memory, if you're using one of those Bibles. And if you want to open them up to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 to 7, which is the the verses that Rosie read to us um, at the very beginning, Um, in many ways such familiar verses, maybe even for those of us who didn't grow up in church, or um, it's been a long time since we were around uh, the church, or even opened God's Word, these verses in many ways may be familiar to you, but they have such significant relevance to not just our everyday lives still today, but to our eternity. So have that open in front of you so you can see where these things are coming from. We're kind of continuing on from last week. We're thinking about what a a bright future looks like. What does it look like to have a bright future? What does it look like to go from the gloom that Isaiah talks about in verse 1 to the glory um, that he mentions as well in verse 1? What does it look like for our lives to go from gloom to glory? Last week we thought about how Jesus brings light into the darkness and joy into the midst of our anguish. And this week, we're thinking about what it looks like for him to be a king. So I'm just going to read those verses again, two verses. Here's what the living God has to say. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So I want you to picture a a young child. She's with her family on Christmas Day. The the presents have been opened. Uh, The food has been eaten. Yet the day has ended with family fighting as usual. She turns to her mom and says, why does Christmas always end this way? Why does Christmas always end with shouting and fighting? Why can't we just have a peaceful Christmas for once? We go from that family to the the front line in Ukraine. A young man is distressed and demoralized. He is desperate for the war to end. He's desperate to go back to his family and to live in peace. And then we go back to the nation of Israel as we find them in Isaiah chapter 9. The people of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, they are occupied, oppressed, and being enslaved by the Assyrian Empire. When will liberation come? When will the war end? How will it come? Well, Isaiah has said in verse 4 that it will end, and now he tells us how in verse 6. Here's how your occupation, here's how your oppression is going to end. Here is how peace is going to come in our world and in our homes and in our workplaces and in our nations. Through the birth of a baby boy. On the surface. Sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? 
You can imagine President Zelensky coming on the news in a few days saying the war's ended, peace has come, and we think, oh, I wonder what's happened. The Russians have left, the Ukrainians have pushed them back, and he says, no, a baby's been born. Sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But verse 7 tells us this baby will be a king, and not just any earthly king. He will be an extraordinary, eternal, divine king. For you and me this morning, that conflict, that oppression, that war, that injustice is all around us when we look at it. They are part of the reality of our homes, of our towns, of our world. Will peace, justice, and righteousness for you and me ever fully and truly prevail? Will things ever be different than the way they are now? Isaiah 9 tells us that with the birth of Jesus, the answer is yes. They will be. But in order to do that, Jesus needs to get right to the root of why all this conflict and chaos in our world is happening. He needs to deal with what the Bible calls and what we've sung about, sin. He needs to reconcile the conflict between us and God in order to reconcile all the conflicts that go on in our world and in our lives. That's what we sang, peace on earth, mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. That's what he's ultimately come to do. Conflict, oppression, and injustice in our world aren't just things that happen to us and around us. They're also things which we are complicit in and which we contribute to if we're honest. And as the Bible tells us, we are. They come about because people, because we have rejected God's king. We've rejected that rule. That's why God's people ended up in the mess they're in here. They weren't just victims, they were guilty. They rejected God's world rule. They didn't humble their hearts before his good rule, and that led to hostility with God, and the same is true of us. That's the bigger problem that Jesus came to fix. He's come to set us free from worldly war and oppression by freeing us from the bondage and slavery of our own sin. King Jesus' rule is here to replace our disastrous self-rule, which has only led to death. He's come to release us from those things, to defeat the curse of death, and to help us find rest under his rule. That's what we just sang about. Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free from our fears and sins. Release us. Let us find our rest in thee. That's what he offers us. That's what we need. And our response to him should be one of humble submission and hopeful anticipation. That's what he's calling for from us in these verses. What these verses really call from us this morning is this, to bow to King Jesus, born to rule over us with justice and peace forever. Bow to King Jesus, born to rule over us with justice and peace forever. This is the first thing we see. Our future will be bright. We can have a bright future. Our gloom can turn to glory when we bow to Jesus as King. That's the first thing that verse 6 tells us. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The, the people of Judah, they, they would have been thrilled to hear that the oppressive and warring Assyrian Empire was going to be defeated. Yet it would come at the great surprise to them of a child. That's how it would end. A child who would become a king, as verse 7 tells us, yet it's no ordinary child. When kids uh, are born or kids grow up, we often talk about them. like We kind of think, oh, he's going to turn out to be a footballer. Look at him. Or she's going to turn out to be a dancer. And it can be the other way around, by the way. I'm not being sexist. We talk about what they're going to end up doing. We think about the things they're going to end up accomplishing. But nobody says about a child, oh, he's going to be head of government one day. He's going to be prime minister or president one day. He's going to be king 
But this baby, this boy, this son is different. Verse 6 tells us the government will be upon his shoulders. The government will be upon his shoulders. Imagine getting that written on your birth certificate. This is a child who will affect change on a governmental and global level. He's no ordinary child because he would become a king, but he is also no ordinary king. When Charles uh, became King Charles III, um, he gained a whole bunch of titles. It would take you a long time to read through them all. But none of them even come close to the four titles that are given to this king here. His titles here tell us who he is, what kind of king he is, and why we should bow to him. The first one is Wonderful Counselor. Tells us that Jesus has something eternally wise and transforming to say to our everyday lives. So often in our times of need, we turn to the counsel of others at the expense of not seeking the counsel of King Jesus. Colossians 2, 3 tells us that in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Everything we could ever need to know, everything we would ever want to know for this life and for the life to come is found in him. And he doesn't just give us good advice. He doesn't just give us self-help. He gives us good news about how he can save us because we can't save ourselves. We can't get ourselves out of the sin and the mess and the world we find ourselves in. We don't need good advice. We don't need self-help. We need good news. We need someone to lift us up from that and to save us, to rescue us, to transform us. All his counsel and wisdom is perfect. It is just. It is good. And when we live by it, we find life in all its fullness. Go to him and live by his counsel. That's what he's saying. He's wonderful counselor. He's also mighty God. The marvelous mystery of the birth of Jesus is this, that Jesus is fully and truly man. He came in meekness, but he's mighty because he's also fully and truly God. In Jesus, God took on human flesh. He cried like a baby. It's okay, don't worry. <laughs> he came as a child. He cried like a baby. He took on human flesh. He chose to come down and dwell in our unrighteousness and unjust world. Our world and we ourselves are so messed up, it took God himself to come down and actually fix it. And he did that gladly, and he did it humbly. Philippians 2 tells us, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, humbled himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the very point of death, even death on the cross. Verse 6 has told us that Jesus came for us, not for himself. He came for us to glorify his Father. Jesus is a king who will willingly empty himself and die for us so that we might be reconciled to God forever. Most kings demand the sacrifice and servitude of their subjects. This king sacrificed himself for his subjects. That's a king we must bow down to. That's a king we get to bow down to. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. How does this king relate to his people? He's not distant and far removed from us. He's like a father. A father who will never leave us, never abandon us, 
never die on us. He's everlasting. He will always be there. A father who we can cry out to and run to and ask for help. A king who will love us like children and who makes us part of his family. And finally, he's the prince of peace. What will it be like to live under this king's rule? It will be peaceful. Okay, not in some kind of hippie kind of way. In a no hostility with God kind of way. In a no more family fighting and global war kind of way. That's the kind of peace this king brings. I grew up in a country where previous generations didn't experience peace, which, but one in which my generation did, but that peace was always described as fragile. Some of us will be in relationships or homes where the peace is fragile, temporary, uncertain, but Jesus is ushering in a reign of eternal, everlasting, guaranteed peace of which there will be no end. This is the king that God promised in Isaiah 9. And in his perfect timing, around 750 years after this prophecy was made, after 750 years later, God's promise was kept and Jesus was born. Okay, Luke 1, verses 31 to 33, tell us this 750 years later, an eyewitness historical account in the gospel of Luke. Okay, this is not make-believe. This is not some kind of fairy tale story about a baby being born in a manger. This is true history. This is eyewitness historical account, Luke chapter 1. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. The king has come. The king we long to rule over us. The king we need to reconcile us. He's come. His rule and his reign have already begun and one day he and his kingdom will come down fully to this earth and be established. So we need to look to him now. We get to look to him as a counselor and as a father. We get to long for him as a prince of peace. We must fall down and worship him like the wise men because he is mighty God. We're called to turn from our self-rule, turn from our sin, and turn to Jesus who will release us. How much do you need that? How much do you want that? To be released from our fears and sins and to give us eternal rest. We can take heart in our hurt because Jesus is also currently enthroned in heaven all authority is his. Therefore, peace will eventually prevail in our lives and in this world. Our future will be bright when we bow to Jesus as king, and secondly, when we belong to Jesus as kingdom. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. When re revolutions happen in the world, maybe we think back to the Arab Spring, or we think about the current protests that are go going on in Iran right now, the question is always, okay, so there's a revolution, but what's going to replace it? What guarantee will there be that it'll be any different after it happens? How long will it last? Who's going to rule in the person who's, who's been um, toppled's place? Well, Isaiah 9-7 says that in these days, it would be this kind of kingdom, and ultimately is pointing forward to the kingdom of Jesus, which would one day replace all kingdoms, all rules, 
What kind of rule will it be? What kind of government will it be? What kind of reign will it be? One of peace, one of justice, one of righteousness, and it will be eternal. Which one of us doesn't want to live in a home, in in a town, in a country where our everyday experience is perfect peace, perfect justice, perfect righteousness, where the person in charge is a king like the king of verse 6? A king like Jesus. So often we try to build our own kingdoms, our own homes, our own lives, our own families, our own countries. But humanity is too corrupt to create this kind of rule. It can't. Just take a good look at history. Just take a good look at the world around us today. Humans cannot build good kingdoms. In Scotland, in this country, for a long time, we did build our lives on the things of Jesus, imperfect as it was. Things like freedom and justice and peace and human dignity and love and equality. These concepts all came from Christianity. And today we are still borrowing from those Christian concepts the things Jesus perfectly embodied in his life and ministry on earth, but we want them in our terms and we want them without Jesus. The pastor and author Mark Sayre says this, our progressive culture seeks the kingdom without the king. We think we can have all of those things on our terms, but we can't. We can't have a kingdom without the king. It will eventually fall in on itself. It will only lead to more pain, more confusion, more hurt, and it can't deal with death. Our homes, our relationships, our town, our world, will never be right until Jesus rules our hearts. And building our own kingdoms is not only foolish, it also sets us on a collision course with Jesus' kingdom because there can't be two kingdoms. There can't be two kings. Spoiler alert, Jesus' kingdom wins. The good news is that even though God would be well within his rights to judge and condemn us, instead he chose in Jesus to become one of us in order to save us and to bring us freely into his kingdom and receive all of its benefits eternally. You and I get to be part of Jesus' just and righteous kingdom, not because of anything good in us, not because we deserve it, but because of the righteousness of Jesus himself. 1 Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Colossians 1.13-14 He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We need that righteousness and Jesus freely offers it to us. We need Jesus' righteousness. We need his rule. We get to be part of that eternal, perfect kingdom that he's establishing. One that totally surpasses any temporary earthly kingdom that we're a part of or that we would ever long to build. So we need to become a citizen of that kingdom now. We can become a citizen of that kingdom now because that kingdom in Jesus has already arrived. It's arrived at his birth. Therefore, we need to turn from our sin and turn to Jesus and place our trust in him and find rest in him. Find rest in King Jesus and experience the joy of righteousness and justice and peace in relationship to him. A citizenship which is expressed through belonging in this age to his church, which functions as an embassy of the kingdom. 
which is the real-life family of God. We need to, we get to be part of that, a faithful church community. Imperfect as it may be at times is a sweet foretaste of the fullness of that kingdom life. Belong to it. Give your life to it. Enjoy it. Become a citizen of the kingdom and be an ambassador of this kingdom. Yes, that kingdom has not come in its fullness, but we are called to be ambassadors of that kingdom. There's no greater or more meaningful purpose we can give our lives to in this age than for Jesus and his kingdom. Nothing else will truly satisfy and fulfill the longings of our heart. We're to live out the commands of King Jesus as we await his return. It's not only the best way to live, it's also the eternal way to live. We spent three months as a church thinking about that from September to November, December. If you want to catch up on that, we have a podcast which you can do so. What does it look like to live for Jesus, to be citizens of his kingdom in this world as we wait for his return? And we need to declare its arrival and tell people how by repentance and faith they can enter into that kingdom. And as we continue to endure, which we still do, right? As we continue to endure the injustice and the unrighteousness of this world, we can patiently pray for Jesus' kingdom to come as he himself taught us to do. Your kingdom come, your will be done. How can we sure it will be? How can we be sure it will come? The last part of that verse, verse 7. One bit of the verse maybe we're not as familiar with, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We can't. Sometimes as Christians we think we can, we can bring this kingdom, we can build it, we, can, we think it's all up to us. We look around and go, there's just, there's just so much need. There, there's so much chaos. There's so much evil. There's so much brokenness. And there is. And it's not that we shouldn't try to make positive contributions to our world and our society and affect some change. But if the buck stops with us, then we are in trouble. And if we live like it's up to us, living for Jesus will become a burden and it will lead to burnout. The good news is Jesus is zealously committed to bringing this kingdom about. He is able to do this. He will do it. All we need to do is just humble ourselves before him, trust him, and live faithfully for him. He doesn't call us to transform the world, but to be faithful in the world as he transforms it and us. Loved ones, the good news of Christmas is that a king has come. His kingdom has broken into this world. Therefore, we should bow to King Jesus, born to rule over us with justice and peace forever. He has made a way for us to do that through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. For us to become citizens of that kingdom and one day that kingdom will come down to earth. The question for you and me this morning is have we bowed to King Jesus? Have we bowed to the baby that we sing about and celebrate and rejoice in at Christmas? Is your knee bent? Is your life being transformed? It can be. He wants you to be part of his kingdom. His grace is available. His forgiveness is there. He's already paid for it all. He's already bought it all. You just need to come and receive it. 
Have we bowed to him? Do we belong to his kingdom? Second verse of come thou long expect as Jesus really captures everything here in Isaiah 9, 67. It says this, born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus into this world. We thank you that you took on, in the person of Jesus, human flesh. You became like us. You didn't stand at a distance from the mess that we created, but you chose to get involved and to save us from it. We thank you that with the coming of Jesus and his kingdom, we can become citizens of that. We can reap all of the benefits through repentance and faith. And we pray, Father, as we long in this age for that kingdom to one day come, which we know it will be, we pray that it would come. And we pray that you would reign in our hearts and cause us to worship you with all that we are, because Jesus is worthy. Amen.